0: Good morning, church. We're going to be in Psalm 14 this morning. And that's Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Maddie. Good morning. Uh, My name is Tyler, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as one of the elders here at Grace City. And um, it's a tremendous honor anytime we get to break Pastor Matt and have an opportunity to meet with you and speak with you. And so uh, just very grateful to be here with you today and excited to continue our summer in the Psalms and focus on this text from Psalm 14. I was a fairly well-behaved kid in high school. Um, My mom's going to smirk when she watches this later today, but um, I went to a small Christian school in Middle Tennessee, and... um, Did the regular thing in high school, uh, got okay grades, uh, participated in athletics, and really enjoyed sports, and then had a core group of friends, um, about six or seven guys that to this day are still uh, fairly good friends, but back in that day, it was not uncommon for us to spend entire weekends together, the seven of us. And we'd go over to my one buddy's house and basically spend the whole weekend, I Thinking back, I think I feel bad for his parents because they had to feed us and put up with us. But um, around early high school, we found ourselves getting in a little bit more trouble. Um, and it wasn't, wasn't drinking or acting out in those types of ways. What happened is uh, my best friend for his 15th birthday got a video camera. And uh, this was before like these, where you have a really good. Uh, video camera capability on your phone. It was one of those old school, you're holding it. And um, we thought we wanted to make movies, but we we determined we weren't very good at that. And so we did what most young guys do. Uh, We filmed each other like wrestling, which always ended in a fight between two people or other pranks and funny videos uh, together. And two... in particular that I remember were, um, and this is where we started getting in trouble, but uh, a pep rally in high school. We thought it would be brilliant to drop a smoke bomb or a stink bomb in the middle of the pep rally, which ended up ending the pep rally immediately. Uh, Everyone ran out of the auditorium. We thought it was hilarious. Or I think the very best one, um, I don't know if they still have these in the mall, but you know the displays in the middle of the mall? Well, at the mall, close to us, they had a hot tub display, and at one point, two of my friends uh, went in, and they had their swim trunks on and a t-shirt, and they got into the hot tub, pulled out a newspaper, put on sunglasses, and pretended to uh, just be hanging out in the hot tub, which uh, you probably know the rest. Security got there very fast. Uh, We got kicked out. Of course, we were hiding behind a pillar, filming it, thinking it was hilarious, Uh, And at the time, for 15-year-olds, maybe it was, uh, but we were idiots. Like, we were doing dumb stuff. And these are uh, dumb examples of knowingly, like, sinning and breaking laws in these cases where um, we knew we were getting trouble and almost kind of wanted to get in trouble. But I use these examples to kind of level set us when we look at this text of what David is seeing in this psalm of... Um, He's seen actually very serious sin from people, mostly the Gentiles in this time, and it's destroying his heart, and he is calling out to God for refuge and for a Savior. Um, If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you our path this morning. We're going to identify four observations in this text. We're going to talk about two truths about God, and we're going to conclude with two ways in which we respond. So David starts this psalm by calling out fallen people. He's disgusted because he's seen sin against God. Look with me at verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What David is saying here, and it's it's, it's in the singular at this point with the fool, but he's not saying the fool in the sense of someone that doesn't have the mental capacity to understand if there is a God. What he's saying is, There are people that can comprehend God but want nothing to do with him or choose not to believe in him or say that there may be a God but he wants nothing to do with me and I want nothing to do with him. Then we look at the end of verse 1 and the end of actually verse 3 where he says, after he says, the fool says in his heart there is no good. Then he says, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, They all have sinned and turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. David says multiple times to reiterate, to be clear, there is no one that does good. He shows the humility to condemn those who are doing evil things with intentional evil desires um, against God, but then he also turns it back on himself to say, not even I do well. Like All of a sudden, believers and non-believers are wrapped into one. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in this psalm identifying as the fool as well. You've got non-believers deliberately avoiding and shunning God and stating that he does not exist. They're doing evil without remorse. And I can think of like even recent examples of this. Like we had... An awesome championship I think last week with the Denver Nuggets winning and um, you turn on the news and there's a parade but then you find out there's a shooting that goes along with that like in today's world we can draw commonalities to this same sin, this universal sin that um, started in Genesis 3 and, and continues to be. Then Then we turn to the believers, right? So the believers in this sense of we believe in God and we believe in his good grace and mercy and his love for us, but our actions don't always reflect the grace by which we've been saved. And we see here a difference in philosophical versus practical atheism. Philosophical being... The identifying that there is no God and I'm not going to believe in that because I believe in other things versus the I believe in God, but I don't believe that he wants to be in our life or my life and I'm going to just kind of practice and do what I still want to do. I'm helped by Pastor Tim Keller who shares this quote. In the Bible, foolishness foolishness means a destructive self-centeredness. Fools cannot bear to have anyone over them, and so they ignore God or deny he exists. Some of this rebellion exists in every heart. Every sin is a kind of practical atheism. It's acting as if God were not there. John Piper also says something similar when he says, Sin is the heart's disposition to find God undesirable to replace God's authority with my own and to prefer pleasures of creation over pleasures of the Creator. And my hope this morning, or one of my hopes this morning is, um, especially for those that have been coming to Grace City for a while and been a part of our recent sermon series, but my hope is that we can tie this back to um, what we always root ourselves in, which is God's perfect design in Genesis 1, and then... Our fall in Genesis 3. I think sometimes we forget that, like, we, t- we, we tend to be a prisoner of the moment. We tend to just think about the, the here and now or what we're seeing in the news or social media and think, oh my gosh, the world just continues to be broken. And we continue to have this, like, hope in the world instead of hope in God. We, see, we can see David's plea and position even today. We also see that sin is universal at the end of both of these verses. Like, we are guilty, none of us are righteous. I'm helped, and if you have your Bibles, um, let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. So, pivoting to the New Testament, where God shows his wrath on unrighteousness. So, it says in Romans 1, 18, 18... For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse like we see here again in an example of God um, calling out the unrighteous and saying there's none who seek God, not even one, and then reminding us of the reason in which God gives us boundaries and direction and why he gave us in Genesis chapter 2 to Adam and Eve, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's why he gives us boundaries and direction so that we can keep ourselves from harming ourselves or others. I mean, I even think of examples of today of like speed limits. Like speed limits exist because driving is dangerous. Different roads have different traffic patterns and ways in which there could be risk if you're going a certain speed. Um, He gives us these boundaries so that we would actually seek him and turn to him And, you know, we can think of this also as with this fall of deliberately breaking those boundaries and seeking ourselves instead of the giver of life. So our first observation is there's sin and God has graceful and rightful judgment. Our second observation in this text, and this one is brief, but is just persecution against believers looking at verse 4, he says, and he's talking about the fools here, have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. He's seen sin deliberately directed at believers in this sense, and it's, this is pretty simple. I don't have much here. There's persecution against believers, and I think a couple weeks ago, Matt referenced James chapter 1, where James opens his book with count it all joy when you experience trials of various kinds, because that tests your faith and produces fruit and steadfastness. Like we know as believers, we are going to encounter times of trial, tribulation, pain, suffering. We've been talking about this in a lot of our sermon series. We know that it's coming. Um, And the answer is, who do we turn to when that comes? I think even in today's world, not political, but even in culture today, think about times in which we hesitate as believers to speak up over potential backlash with things that are going on in our world, even this month of the year, of ways in which we'd Um, experience persecution and you can see this in the news every single day at this point next observation number three god is our refuge and our defense and we just had a beautiful song where we sang about god as our defense god wants to be in our lives and he wants to take refuge and he wants for himself to be our ultimate defense as we look back to verse two The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. The Lord looks down is important here. There's multiple times over the course of history, and especially the Old Testament, where we see this same type of phrase in the Bible of the Lord looking down. And most often than not, it is out of judgment and sometimes out of wrath, but that is built on love and grace and seeing his beautiful creation broken and wanting to be in our lives. You think of Adam and Eve that we just talked about, or Sodom and Gomorrah. There's other multiple areas in the Psalms where God is looking down and he's taking interest in his people, taking interest in us. Now let's look at verses 5 and 6, where he continues to talk about the fool. In verse 5 he says, "...there they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous." You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. God wants us to be in our life, and he wants us to take refuge in him. He wants to be our ultimate defense. So, with Matt, you get really cool examples of like coffee stories with Maddie or like goals and hockey wins from the boys. With me, everything is going to be daycare related because that is the season that we are in. So my wife and I had the joy of becoming parents Um, recently. Our daughter is 10 months old, and we started her in daycare earlier this year. And I think for the parents in the room or friends of parents, you can probably all attest, I'm looking at some of you now, that daycare is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in that there are people that are crazy enough to want to watch your kids during the day. Uh, It's a curse in that I would guesstimate that you're sick about 80 to 90% of the time. Uh, from the cesspool of mucus in that building Um, case in point with a little bit of what's going on um, right now last week or two weeks ago seems like it's now uh, we were in the middle of a family cold and um, one night Kim and I are laying in bed and it was a it was a week night and Hadley was in her crib which is right down the hall from us and continuous crying, coughing, Kim and I are both coughing ourselves, like unable to sleep. And so don't judge me, but I was like, I'm going to go get her and bring her in with us. And we're going to co-sleep. That's I think a rule in one of the books or some of the books. I didn't read the books, but, um, uh, you're not supposed to do that. But anyway, I was like, we're going to suffer together. Um, so I went into her crib, and um, she's sitting up, which is a new thing for us, which is kind of fun. And she like, lifts her arms up, and in that moment like, is reaching up for me, recognizing somewhat the character of her father, of I'm going to get her and bring her with me. And so I get her up, I go in our room, we try to put her in between us with like our pillow fort around her, <clears throat> and still won't go to sleep. So finally kind of roll her over. I put her on my chest, just kind of breathing with her, rubbing her back, singing her songs. Um, And finally, she nestles her head like right between my neck and my chest. And pretty soon, she's fallen back to sleep. And I remember in that moment, um, normally would have a sincere lack of patience and frustration. I just said a prayer to God like, Thank you for this gift. Like, thank you for the gift of being able to be a father. And thank you for the small reminders of things like this that push me as a son to you of what you want to see out of me. Um, Like, God intends for us to do the same. She knew in that moment that we were her safety and shelter. God wants to be in our life, and he's hungry again to be our refuge, to be a refuge in a world that he created and that we broke. Our fourth and last observation is hope and promise. This is where it gets awesome. So um, let's go to verse 7. David says here, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Zion, in this sense, this place is important for context with this verse. Back in the day, Zion was considered a very special place. It was a holy place. It was considered where God would reside. It was very well known. Um, Analogous to cities today, it would be like politics in Washington, D.C., or international business in London, or Wall Street in New York. Like, Zion was a known place where God resided. And the best part of this entire psalm, in my opinion... And God's mic drop moment is when he says, "Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion." Then he says, "Notice, he doesn't say if the Lord restores. He says when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people." Not if, but when. Throughout all time and prophecy, there's connections and universal connecting points of pointing towards us needing a savior and Jesus as that Savior. You can look at other examples of call-outs to Zion and to restoration in Joel 3 or Jeremiah 30. He promises us a Savior. He's done that, and He promises restoration. He will make all things new. He'll do that as well. So now let's get into our two truths we learn about God. First truth is God hates our sin, but He still wants to be in our lives. Like, he's engaged with creation. We saw this in multiple examples earlier. Another daycare example. So, um, and this is a quick one, but one of the best feelings in the world is after a long day at work is the joy of going and uh, getting to pick up our daughter. And um, one of my favorite things is walking into that door of the daycare and at this particular time with these kiddos, they're all um, on the floor doing something and I love to walk in that door and see my daughter not looking for me and I I love to say Hadley and see her look up and smile. She's got all these weird teeth right now and smile (laughs) and then like she just like army crawls as fast as she can over to me And like that feeling of getting to pick her up in that moment and know that she wanted to be with me. I imagine God looking down in times of stress and suffering, and I imagine Him wanting that same feeling His creation eagerly calling out to Him, trusting Him, and running towards Him. Our second truth is He's our refuge and he's lovingly full of grace. I loved what Terry said in the video earlier of God as our security. God inspires this passage through David, and he not only tells us what's wrong and diagnoses what's wrong with humanity, but he gives us the answer, he gives us the antidote to turn from our sin and seek refuge in him. Some of you may know this story, and I'll keep it brief, but in 2019 I was... um, diagnosed with cancer. And I remember one of the worst parts of the process was the unknown. Like not even necessarily the mortality of the unknown, it was just more the unknown of what was happening. Like what was happening and what were we going to do about it. And there was about a two week period in between my surgery and then um, the next step or phase of the process, which would be determination of type of therapy. And I remember those two weeks felt like a lifetime. And what we were waiting on was pathology results from the tumor that they removed to tell us, all right, we got to figure out what's going on here, and then we're going to figure out how we move forward. And I'll never forget, I was at my house, um, my Mother was visiting because uh, it was right after surgery. We had, a, we had a friend over that wanted to visit as well. <clears throat> and I'll never forget getting the call from the doctor and seeing it on my phone. And I, <clears throat> I eagerly ran into the office and put it on speaker. And I'm like leaning over my desk and I've got my pen out and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And he tells me and he says, okay, it's 70% this, 20% this, 30, or 10% this um, and says, this is what the t- tumor was made up of. Our next step in the process is we're going to refer you to a medical oncologist. I've already made that call. You're going to meet with them next week, <clears throat> but here's the good news. Uh, this is treatable by God's grace. This is treatable. He didn't say that, but that's what I was feeling. <clears throat> and we're going to get a very precise plan of how to treat this. Like, similar to receiving this diagnosis, God diagnoses our hearts with precision in these verses. And He provides a very clear path for change and for restoration in Him. Now, let's get to how we respond. And again, I think these are simple. The first is just seek after Him, get in the Word. Read his God inspired word. Pray. Pray with other people. Talk about scripture with other people. Be a part of discipleship. He is the key to everything, He is the connector, He is the antidote. A friend uh, recently educated me on a a toy that could be found in cereal boxes back in the day uh, that was called a decoder ring. And if I did my research right, The way that this ring or this thing worked was it was similar to like a a metal wedding ring that you would get a puzzle and you couldn't solve the puzzle unless you had the ring. And the ring would have corresponding symbols to corresponding letters so that you could determine and uh, figure out the puzzle. I like to think of God in this way, that like with him, everything is possible. We can survive our broken world, and we have something to look forward to in being with him forever. But without it, we have an inability to connect the universal dots of the gospel and the entire trajectory of history, from Genesis 3 to Psalm to the New Testament to now, of the brokenness we're seeing in this world. And speaking of brokenness, David starts this psalm with the fool. And the fool, in this instance, clearly can't connect these dots. They don't have the key. They don't have God. Like, the opposite of foolishness is wisdom. See Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fools and oppressors, in verse 6, experience terror when they see the righteous, none that are perfect, but the righteous, the people that are seeking after God, take refuge in God. And it's important to point out that they're not in fear. They're in terror. And there's a difference between fear and terror. Fear is the human feeling, according to Google, when a threat is sensed or perceived. Fear readies the body both physiologically and psychologically for action. Terror is an extreme and unexpected jolt. Like if Kim and I go home today and we walk in our house, and there's a big snake in the living room, I'm probably nudging her and running out of the way. It um, says a lot about me, right? But I, I, I hate snakes, and I'm scared to death of them. Like, I would be in terror. I would run out immediately. Uh, Kim may have to handle that. I know she would well. Um, fear is when you recognize something a threat, and you form an action to do something about it. Fear, in this sense, is seeing that God hates our sin and he has rightful judgment upon that and that the only next step and the right next step is to turn to him. So, like, how can we apply this to our lives? I think fear of the Lord comes with wisdom, and that's what he tells us. But in what areas are we failing to do that as humans? And how are we thinking about that in the ways of the different circles in which we live, right? Of am I seeking wisdom in the Lord in work, in my workplace, or in social settings, or with family? He wants to be the center of the attention in all of that, and he rightfully deserves that. The last response is... Live with evangelical hope. We're going to see throughout the Psalms a lot of times where David will end with a call for hope. David puts his tr- tr- trust in God and he hopes that he would deliver a Savior. And God, through his passage, this passage says that he is the answer. And God sh- shows us in his promises that he will deliver. He wants us to live on this mis- mission. Like the biggest difference of us being the fool between us and the non-believers is that we know we need this Savior. We know that we need this unending grace, and we turn to that. And so in these two responses, it really means action and how we live for that. But also with hope, I pray that our hope in this is that we would not only have hope ourselves and hope as a reminder to ourselves when things may be bad, but that we would also direct this love and hope to other people so that they may experience it themselves. David ends this psalm with this confident plea for hope in God, and I hope that we'll be a people that evangelize our hope in the Lord that we see. So to wrap up and to conclude, and I didn't have a big idea or theme, but I think it's kind of in this conclusion, so maybe not write this. I can send you the notes after if you want it. (laughs) But um, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But lucky for us, God saves those that believe in him. He saves broken, foolish people that sin against him often. And he does this because he's full of grace and love. Be aware of the sin in our culture, in our world. Be aware of the disturbing evil and blasphemy against our holy God. Have humility to acknowledge God's hate for believers' sin too take refuge in him seek him always and live with outward evangelical hope that others may come to love the to love Christ the savior that David calls for and the promise that God delivers let's pray